with this morning. I'm excited for what God is going to do through our people and, and through his word. And so this morning, um, we're going to be working through Matthew again. Uh, I know I just had you sit down, but uh, we're doing a little exercise this morning because I need you to stand for God's word. I'm sorry for telling you to sit down. Would you stand this morning for the reading of Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 37? says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Excuse me, verse 21. You have heard it said that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, walk three days back, first go and be reconciled to them, and then come back and give your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on your way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said... You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with his own heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go to hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries or divorces a woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said that people long ago do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need is simply yes or no. And anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, before we start, I want to say I'm excited that Pastor Day and Ruth have joined us this morning. They've come up from Kentucky, and we're excited that they're here this morning. Uh, We have missed you so much, and we're glad that you can be part of our worship service this morning. So thanks for how you have served the church for the last 17 years. I've heard wonderful things, and uh, I have a lot to live up to. So thanks for setting the standard high. Uh, About a year and and some change ago, we had a group of leaders get together. We met on a Saturday, and, and we didn't get together to, to go through a training time together. We didn't get together to, to study God's Word or, or go through a Bible study. We didn't even get together to join, uh, to get together to enjoy great donuts or great coffee. No, see, there were a group of leaders who sacrificed their Saturday, their time away from their families, sacrificed time that was meaningful to them to come in on a Saturday and simply dream. There was a group of people who started to, to dream about what God could do through this church, but it began with prayer in this very moment. Right here in, the, in, in these very pews, we had a body of people that gathered together to dream, and they began to pray. And we've said over this, this next year that prayer is one of our focuses because we cannot fulfill the future that God has for us if we are not a praying people. 
And so we submitted our lives to him in this moment, and we said, God, would you give us discernment? Would you give us guidance as, as to where you want to take us and how you want to move this community into a church that is alive and thriving? And we learned that as we began to pray that, that God was calling us to take something that was already in place, a slogan that had been painted on the gym walls, a community of hope. And he said, I want this to become the mission for this church, that we will become a community of hope. And we looked at God's redemptive story, and we began to look at Scripture, and as we unpacked his word, we began to see in Leviticus that he calls people, he calls his followers to the least of these, to the people in the margins, to the people who are on the outside. This is how the church of the Nazarene began. And we, we see in Leviticus that God tells the farmers to leave the edges of the fields for those in desperate need, for those in need of he says, leave the edges of your field. So as we prayed and as we began to dream about what God would want for this church, we began to ask this question. What does it look like for our church? Edges of the field. What does it look like for us to live life on the edge? How will we be hope for this community? It's a great dream. But, but hope has to, to have some substance to it. We have to, we have to unpack it a little bit. And we felt that as we begin to pray that God be given, begin to give us language on how hope would, would become a reality within our church. And so he said to us that you must seek me first. That whatever you seek becomes the center of who you are. And so I'm asking you as my people to align your life's habits with my hopes for the world. That's a great line. You should write that down. God said it, not me, that you should align your life's habits with God's hopes for the world. And so we said, yes, Lord, we will submit our lives to you. We will relentlessly pursue you, and we will try to align every part of who we are with what you want. So we said that we will seek God. And then we said this, that it's, it's not just seeking that, that, that seeking is not stationary, but rather it is an outpouring. This relationship is an outpouring of who we are and the relationship we have with God. And so we said that we will become a people who invest. That, that God has given each of us talents and gifts and even money. And please, be happy to share that. But, it's, but, but those things are not for you. They're not for your glory. They're not for your goodness. They are for God's glory and his goodness. And so we've said that what God has given you is not yours, but it's rather for everybody else who is in need. So we give to people in need. We give to our church who is on a mission to create a community of hope. So as we seek, we invest. We truly believe that God's mission for us is not to allow people to remain in brokenness. You see, seeking investing is only part of the story. And I'm glad it's only part because God's grand mission for all of his people is that we would be restored into his image. We believe that God is making all things new in and through each of us and it is our goal when we invest in him and when we seek God that everybody will move from a place of brokenness into a place of wholeness and restoration so we, we, we seek we invest we restore and as Pastor Seth already said we believe in sending people you see, the church has kind of become this place where people become to know God, they seek God, and they invest their time, and people are restored, but then we want to keep them in the church and we want to protect them. We actually don't want to send them back out into the community of images of God's hope to the world. 
But how else does God's mission get brought about unless we are ascending church? We believe that the best church is the sent church. You see, this is the word, this is the dream, this is the language that God gave his people because they submitted their lives to, to prayer in just a few moments. But here's the question I have for us this morning. Maybe it's not a question. Maybe it's a fear for me. My fear is that we will take the dreams that God has given us and they will simply become ideas. Do you all know the difference between dreams and ideas? Some of you are like, aren't they the same? Aren't they one and the same? I, I don't know. My, my fear is that perhaps we will take the dreams that God has for his community, this church, and they will become ideas. You see, ideas are things that we consider. I, ideas are things that we study. These are concepts that we, we ponder and we think about. In fact, some of us will begin to think about things and we'll drink a whole pot of coffee just thinking about one thought. You see, I think ideas are really immovable. Some of them are unattainable. In fact, ideas, I'm glad, sometimes just remain ideas. Because if we did every idea that everybody thought was good in this church, we would be, like, going in every direction. Our staff has plenty of ideas of what they think should happen. Our staff meets every week, and we give leadership ideas in moments. Our staff comes up with solutions to problems that are created in the church. We have lots of ideas, but oftentimes, nothing happens. They're just ideas. You see, dreams are different, though. Dreams are what capture your imagination. Dreams are vivid visions of what life could be like. Dreams are what take us from our current context and move us into an alternative reality. This is beautiful. You see, dreaming requires creativity. Dreams are what really make us. Dreams are what begin to move us. I love it. If you were to go to my hometown, this small town, Piqua, Ohio, look it up on the map. You won't find it. Piqua, Ohio, you get off the exit. If you're coming from the south, you make a left and you go into town. There is a railroad that goes over before you get into town. And on the bridge is painted, Welcome to Piqua, where dreams become reality. Now, I can remember saying, what idiot put that up there? I mean, it's Piqua, Ohio, for Pete's sakes. 25,000 people live here. Is this really where dreams become a reality? I mean, no, absolutely not. I always thought it was a cheesy slogan. I thought it was a pithy little saying. But you know, uh, maybe they got something right. That dreams have a way of drawing us in so much so that we don't know the difference between a dream and reality. That they become one in the same. And I think that's what God has in mind for us this morning, is that we would begin to move in the middle of God's dream, that God's dream for his world becomes a present reality in this moment here and now. And see, this is what Jesus is talking to us today about. He, see, he is drawing us into the dream that he has for his people and for his church. There's this beautiful thing that Jesus says when he arrives on the face of the earth. He says... Hello, repent, change your lives, because the kingdom of heaven is near. I don't think this is a dream or an idea. This is, this is a dream that God had for his people. I wonder what would happen if Martin Luther King, who gave one of the greatest speeches in the world, who gave one of those groundbreaking declarations in the face of our nation, would have started or ended the, the speech by saying, I have an idea. People often tell me, 
Pastor, you're a dreamer, you're a visionary. Would you please come back to reality where the rest of us are and the rest of us live? But don't you think that dreams are, are the far better life? Don't you think that dreams are moving us in the direction that we need to go? Don't you think that dreams are making us a far better church? And don't you think that dreams are what Jesus is calling us to do to today when he calls us to the kingdom of heaven? Over the last few we've been in the series far better and we've been studying Matthew in fact we've been in this little passage called the Sermon on the Mount and we've learned that this isn't just one sermon but this Matthew takes a collection of sermons over the entire uh, span of Jesus life and he condenses these teaching into about three chapters there was no way that you could listen to a sermon that long but Matthew understands something for us you see this morning Matthew understands that God's dream, the kingdom of heaven, can, will, will only be an idea unless he makes it the focal point of what God is doing. And so he condenses everything that he teaches into three little chapters in this Sermon on the Mount. And he says, here is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Now we have, in modern Christianity, have taken this word kingdom of heaven and turned it into this place that we go when we die. But Matthew does something completely different. You see, Matthew replaces the word God with heaven out of respect for God and who he is. And so he, what he says is, when I use the word heaven, I'm actually revealing to you the very character and nature of who God is. That whatever we talk about heaven, we're talking about God. And whatever we're talking about God, we're actually talking about Jesus because Jesus is God. Wow, that's quite a thought. That what gets revealed in heaven... Is God's very nature. And Matthew tells us this morning, I'm putting this all together so you don't miss the dream. Here's the problem. There's always a problem, isn't there? I don't know that we're in this problem. I just, I'm fearful that we may get there at some point. So if I'm not preaching to you, ignore me. If I am preaching to you, you better listen. Here's the problem. Jesus Christ comes with this alternative reality called the kingdom of heaven where he begins to reorder the way the world works. And this is the alternative to Rome who is full of power and full of hatred and full of injustice and vengeance and yet they call it the Roman peace, the Pax Romana. But I'm afraid that what happens is that we take God's dreams, the kingdom of heaven, and we set them aside, not we, but the people who lived in this day set them aside and they begin to accept Rome's dreams as the reality. See, this has kind of been the, the cyclical process of history and, and, and the life of God's people. I want to take you back to the beginning. I promise we'll go through the whole Bible in about two minutes. I probably shouldn't do that, but... But for, from the very beginning, we see that God wants to express his love in a tangible way. This is what is so compelling about our creation story compared to all the other religions and all the other stories about how the world was created. You see, how the world was created and their counterparts' narratives was through violence and hatred. And there were these wars that happened and all of a sudden the world is an offshoot. The world is an offshoot of violence. But Jesus says, I have a different way of creating the world where love will be the undercurrent of creation. And he says in this moment that as love is the undercurrent, I will create people in my image who express my goodness, my glory, and my love to the world. 
that they will bear, they will become, they will, they will become breathing and living realities of hope for the world. You see, this is how God's story of hope gets told. It's through those who are created in his image. And then the story gets ruined. You know this. God's people have an issue with faithfulness. But what I love about our story even more so is that God remains covenantly committed to his creatures even when they are in the wrong. Aren't you glad that God doesn't punish you when you mess up? Now, you may reap some of what you sow, but that's not God's doing, that's yours. But God remains covenantly committed to his creatures even when we are wrong. And it's interesting because we find the people who are in the middle of Egypt who were once supposed to live out God's dreams, but now find themselves in the middle of captivity. And God says, I want to refocus my people toward a, a loving kind of people that becomes this expression to the world around them. And so he pulls them out of bondage. He pulls them out of slavery. And he sends Moses up to the hill where God gives them these beautiful guidelines. Now you call them commandments. I call them guidelines. I, I call them God's way of giving us life. See, they're not just rules. These are the very things that God believes will begin to shape and form a community into a people who are connected, who are on mission, who are moving into the world as God's beacon of hope and light. But it doesn't take very long before Moses comes down and people have already created these images that look nothing like God. You see, God has two grievances against people that I needed you here this morning that somehow move God's dreams to ideas. The first grievance is this, is that we constantly want to make images that somehow look like God. And the reason that God tells us not to create images or idols is not because he's jealous and, and he doesn't like the way he looks when we create them. But he tells us that because he's already created those images. That's us. You see, you thought I, don't, not creating idols was all about not worshiping idols. But the reality is God is saying, I've already created those images. There's no reason to make it. You are how I will be reflected into the world. But they constantly, constantly, constantly try to find a way to make God into something or some idea. The other grievance that God has against his people is this, is that it doesn't take long for a people who were supposed to be separated, who were supposed to have God as their king, to look at the rest of the world around them and say, you know, we want to be like them. We want to have a king. We want to have a human king. And you know what happens? Because God is so loving, he, he gives over to our wishes. And he says, you want a king, here you go. And you know the story. What happens when human people become kings is because they become tyrants. And what, what was meant to be for God's people is that they were supposed to be God's mercy and love to the world. But suddenly they began to look like other nations conquering the world. And my fear is this, is that people who claim to be committed to God, their lives look more like the government that rules them. It's a scary thought. That people who claim to be created in God's image, to claim that God is their king, their lives look more like the governments that actually rule them. Now, governments is a specifically broad category. <laughs> but I think that's the problem for Jesus today. 
Hear me this morning. Jesus arrives on the scene. And last week, we realized when, when, when he arrives on the scene, he says that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's a tall order when you think about 1,600 laws being kept. And last week, we discovered that that's not what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was saying was what I've just already told you, that there were people who claim to be fully devoted to God, who observe the law, but that as long as that observance wasn't subversive to the ones who ruled them. Did you catch that? That they were willing to say that they were committed to God, they were willing to say that they were following God, so as not to kind of upset the Roman powers that be. And what happens is we get this formulaic religion that suddenly takes God's dreams and makes them an idea. And so we get this passage today. We get this passage today where, where Jesus says to us, you have heard it said. In other words, you have heard this grand idea, these dreams that have now been made an idea. But let me, let me tell you something different. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. And I think what Jesus is doing in this moment is he is re-inviting us back into God's dreams. That we will begin to rethink and repent the way we've known the world and the entire way that it's existed, and we begin to rethink this. God is calling us back into these dreams in this moment where he begins to refound the world on an axis of love expressed through the cross, where those who are the least get a head seat at the table. It is a beautiful picture. Where peace and love will, will be supreme in the face of power. And he once again invites us. He says, listen, you. You are the way. You are the light. You are the salt. That will bring about my goodness and my glory. Jesus' invitation to his kingdom requires the whole self. I don't really want to go through all of the adulteries and divorces and stuff like that because it would take too long to explain to you what they actually mean, but here's what I do want to cover. At the end, Jesus says, again, you've heard that it said to people long ago, do not break your oath to fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the great king's city. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even a hair white or black. All you need is simply a yes or a no. Anything beyond this is from the accuser. Anything beyond this is from Satan. You see, the Jews had a custom. They kind of divided oaths into two classes. Now, now follow me on this. They believed that when they used the name of God, that God would somehow find himself in the middle of that transaction. That God would be part of that transaction. But they also had another oath where they would evade the name of God. And they would swear by other things like your mom and your hair and heaven and Jerusalem. And, and as long as God was not in that oath, they had no intention of actually keeping it. So Jesus, when he comes here, says, forget the oaths. What you're doing is you are compartmentalizing your life. 
See, you want to give me part of you, but you don't want to give me all of you. And if you aren't going to give me everything, then I don't want anything from you. And so he says, you have to understand that I am in every moment of every day of every part of your life. And if you don't see it that way, then you will miss out on what this kingdom is all about. You see, I think we have a tendency to to compartmentalize our lives. Where we will come and we will be the most holy people the church has ever seen. And when we get out into the world and we get into our office, we turn into little Satans. Not little Christians. (laughs) We've become people who who conduct ourselves one way when we're with our Christian friends and another when we're with people who aren't. There's no continuity whatsoever. I think that we have people who, who claim to follow the politics of the kingdom and yet submit their lives to politics that look nothing like what Jesus ever said. You see, we have taken God. My fear is that we have taken God himself in his dreams for the world and we have made them into ideas. And we have taken on a completely different identity where we no longer, we may commit our lives to God, but we reflect the governments that rule our lives. I need to be gracefully careful this morning. I know that you watch the news. It's entertaining. It's funny. It's quite hilarious these days. I'm not so scared about the politics. I'm not so scared about the governments. I'm not so scared about any of that stuff. What scares me the most is Christians who claim God, but yet their righteousness never surpasses that of the Pharisee. Do do you remember what I'm saying? That we are people who observe the laws of God. We pretend to be Christians, and yet our lives are not subversive to to the governments and the systems that rule our lives. That's what scares me the most. That, that the very things that come out of Jesus' mouth are the very things that we oppose. How does that happen? When we do not submit our whole lives to God, when we do not allow him to invade every part of who we are, we are in danger of allowing something else to shape our very being to the point where we no longer look as though we are. And that's what scares me. That's what keeps me up at night. God is calling us into his dreams. But I think we are living out someone else's dreams. And God's dreams are nothing more than an idea. Well, this morning, I know that you are inquisitive people and you are asking, so how do we keep God's dreams from just becoming an idea. So glad you asked the question. I find it interesting last week that Jesus gives us a compliment. He gives his followers a compliment. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but beware that salt may lose its saltiness. And we said last week that we know that salt is one of the most formidable compounds, that that there's such a connection between sodium and chlorine that it's inseparable. But Jesus says, beware that you will lose your saltiness. And we we begin to understand that the only way salt loses its saltiness is when it's diluted in water. 
And Jesus' word for the, the phrase loses its saltiness is this word morose, which actually means an intellectual deficiency. And we said that what happens if we combine the two? What Jesus was saying is that we have an intellectual deficiency when our minds are deluded by something else. And last week, we took what Paul said with what Jesus said, and we kind of combined the two together. And we said the way you fight an intellectual deficiency is that, as Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. Right? That we have the mind of Christ. When, when we have his mind, we are no longer intellectually deficient. But Paul only gives us part of the equation. You see, that's kind of what Jesus is doing this morning when he says, you have heard it said, but I tell you, is if we've only got part of the equation. Paul says, you have heard it said, but let, let, let me tell you again. Turn with me to, to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants of Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. It's a fun word. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere human beings? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord is assigned to teach his task. Now, I love this. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, and God has been making it grow ever since. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For, listen to this. He said we have the mind of Christ, but now Paul tells us, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. You are co-creators. You are a co-creation. You are co-laborers. You are co-workers with Christ Jesus. Now this is the next part of the equation. And the reason that he's writing to the Corinthians is because they're like us. Notice what happens in the story. I love this. He tells them you have the mind of Christ. That's awesome. But then he calls them worldly. And I find it funny that, that in Greek culture, it was, it was common for you to, to have this intellectual assent. That the way that we accept Jesus in our life is through the mind. Paul's saying you've already done that. But you notice what they're arguing about. They're arguing about what human system they're going to follow. Do we follow Paul? Do we follow Apollos? Do we do what Paul does? Do we do what Apollos does? Paul's saying, you have missed it. You're just like the Israelites. You're just like the Pharisees. You, you say that you're committed to God with your mind, but yet you, you live like your life is ruled by something else. So he says to them, you must be co With Christ. I love this thought. I don't know if this excites you, but your life has been changed. Some of your lives haven't been changed. And let me tell you, there is a possibility that it could be changed. But some of your lives have been changed drastically. And, and what happens is that change all of a sudden looks like an idea. And not a movement. 
like we said last week. You see, God is asking you to go out and to be a laborer where you begin to plant seeds, you begin to water them, and then you allow God to do all the work. You see, we so often rely on our own strength for God's work to come about, kingdom of heaven to come here. But God is just saying, all I need you to do is be faithful, to be an image of hope to the world, and people will begin to see the work that I'm doing because I am doing it. My grace is sufficient for you, but not for only you. It's for everyone. So I need your work. I need your labor. I need you to create. This is what God wants from us. And what a beautiful task that is given us. Why do we look like this all the time? When we have been commissioned to do one of the most moving things in life ever. To be an image of God. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are we... Have we taken the mission that God has given us and simply turned it into an ideal? Are we going to be obedient to the dreams that God has called us to? Some of us here have, have really stepped up to the plate and been co-workers with Christ. Some of us are fans. We're just big fans of Jesus. We like to be spectators of what Jesus is doing. Can, can I invite you this morning to step up your game? To get in the game? I love what Larry said a few weeks ago. I'm done making excuses. Can, can we get some more Larrys in here for just a minute? God doesn't need your excuses. He needs your work. He needs your life. I truly believe that if we submit our lives to the mission that God has for us and the values that he has set for us, there is no telling what could happen for Joliet First. There's no telling the kind of movement that's going to happen out of here. And there's no telling that when we pray the prayer, would your kingdom come on earth as in heaven? It will be on America as in heaven. It will be on Illinois as in heaven. It will be on Joliet as in heaven. That heaven is coming in this moment because we have decided to be co-laborers with so this morning, we invite you to the table. Those serving communion would come forward this morning. We, we do our best not to make you uncomfortable. I understand that will happen at times. We don't make people raise hands. We don't make people do awkward things when they decide to respond to what God is doing in their lives. But we truly believe here that in this church, if you are going to respond to God and what God is maybe talking to you about in your life, you will eat from the table this morning. Because as we say every week, you are what you eat. That the only way we become co-laborers with Christ is when we begin to eat the body of Christ. The only way that we can understand God's mission is when we eat from the table of mission. So this morning, if God is speaking to you, if God is calling you to something greater than yourself, if God is moving you beyond a system or a government or a politic or an idea or a person that is controlling you, would you come this morning and submit your life to Him? Would you see, find yourself seated at His table this morning and eat from His grace? Eat from his life. Eat from his joy.
Lord, we acknowledge that you are king of this world. You are king of this earth. There is nobody else but you who, who is ordering the way life is meant to be. Lord, we, we give you thanks this morning that we can live the far better life because you have sacrificed on the cross for us, but not only that, you have resurrected from the dead. And it is the moving force of the resurrection that we ask this morning that your spirit descend upon our lives as we eat from your table. And we are given your spirit and we are moved into the world around us. Lord, we, we give thanks for your presence. Lord, teach us to be people of hope this morning. May your kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, not become a backseat idea, but may it be a dream that becomes a reality this morning. This is 